This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Floyd Rayford, card number 296, catcher, third baseman of the Baltimore Orioles. We will get to Floyd in just a moment, but we do have some follow-up from last week's episode, and we received another package in the mailbag. This one wasn't a gift, but it was a suggestion from listener Ryan that I should order the book Baseball Confidential. This book by Bruce Nash and Alan Zulo came out in 1988, and the book is described as the inside scoop on America's favorite pastime in the player's own words. And so the authors of this book surveyed players, took polls, asked different questions about managers, umpires, cheating, scandals, pregame rituals, all kinds of stuff. And so listener Ryan suggested there's a bunch of guys that you talk about who are quoted in the book. You should check it out. And I picked it up because Floyd Rayford is featured in here and tells a good story. But then as I was flipping through, I found last week's subject, Glenn Wilson. On page 164 of this book is listed among the klutziest players in baseball. <laughs> He's second after Lonnie Smith. Whoa. When we watched that 1986 highlight video of Glenn Wilson, he was falling all over in the outfield. He would swing and you know lose his bat on a... And he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But they actually have a pretty concrete example of Glenn's klutziness. A weird injury. It says Glenn Wilson was sidelined for several days in 1986 by, of all things, a baby's crib. Wilson cut his foot while assembling the crib. Oh, no! So perhaps those two things are related. Glenn Wilson, one of the klutziest players, and also missed some time due to a a crib injury. I think this is evidence that Sparky gave Glenn a bad rap and said that he was showboating in the outfield, diving too much when he didn't need to. It wasn't that he was trying to show off or trying to be extra dramatic. He just literally couldn't stay on his own two feet all the time. Another fun list that jumped out at me here was pitchers who don't look like athletes. (laughs) And this one, there's five names listed. We've talked about every single one of these guys. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, Kent Tocolvi. Yes. Charlie Kerfeld. Yes. Rick Russell. Yes. Oil Can Boyd. Yes. And number five, Jack Lazorko. What? I mean, come on. He looks like a goalie. Jack Lazorko. Jack Lazorko was the epitome of athleticism and of kick saves. Who was even thinking about Jack Lazorko in 1988? <laughs> Why was his name at the top of somebody's mind of of players to, to come up with? But So I've enjoyed this book. We'll come back to this a little bit later when talking about Floyd and probably in future episodes because there are many players quoted and and talked about. Excellent. Well, thank you, Ryan, for sending that suggestion. But now to our card, Floyd Rayford. And why did we choose Floyd this week? Matt, do you hear that music? Something magic happens every time you go. 
can make the magic happen. The magic of Orioles baseball. When the game is close and the yokes are hot, there's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they got. And you never know who's gonna hear the call. There's a different star That's the magic of Oriel It's the magic of Orioles baseball. We have not revisited the Orioles and the thundering roar from 34. We've only talked about three Orioles cards, and two of them were in the same episode. I think that we, in total, spent more time talking about Mrs. Ripken than we did about any single Orioles player. It's a weird show sometimes. (laughs) And then the other one was Tom Needenfuhrer, so we spent more time talking about the the Dodgers that we did about the Orioles. <laughs> and we didn't even talk about Orioles magic in either of those episodes. We talked about that in the Juan Neves episode. So Orioles magic makes a grand return with Floyd Rayford. We owe you Baltimore Orioles fans. And I, I hope that you have some fond memories of Floyd's time with the Orioles. Throughout his career, Floyd struggled with his weight, was a roommate and pitcher for Cal Ripken Jr. And also was a a bit of a rarity in baseball, at least in one sense. And this week we have a Sabre bio written by Malcolm Allen. We've used his other bios, including Darnell Coles and Pasquale Perez. Malcolm is a pretty prolific bio writer, so I'm sure we will see him again and see his work again soon. So thank you, Malcolm Allen, for this Sabre bio of Floyd Rayford. We'll start with the front of 296, and we've got a pregame shot where Floyd is kind of talking. It looks like maybe he's just in a conversation with the cameraman or someone next to him. He's got his chest protector on and a cap without his helmet or mask or any other catcher equipment. And it looks like maybe he's whistling. Maybe I don't know, He's got kind of an interesting facial expression going on there. But yeah, it's a, it's a good-looking card. Yeah, anytime that you get a chest protector... And in a kind of candid shot, it looks like a brand new chest protector, too. And I I don't think Floyd was playing much catcher at this time. He was probably playing more third base. And, well, honestly, he didn't play much at all in 1987. (laughs) And this was his last season in Major League Baseball. Floyd looks pretty friendly in this picture. Looks like he's got a little bit of a smile, a little bit of a mustache. Looks like a friendly guy. And that was Floyd's reputation in Major League Baseball, is that he was a fun-loving, friendly guy. He had a couple nicknames. One of them was Sugar Bear. And that was because it was said he resembled the mascot from the Sugar Crisp cereal box. (laughs) Can't get enough of that Golden Crisp. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that nickname, but I, I, I think I see it. He's got the mustache that kind of goes around his mouth, and it looks a little bit like like the sugar bear. And he also has kind of the the heavy eyelids of the sugar bear who looked a little bit sleepy and maybe just needed some sugar to wake up. But <laughs> Orioles fans still remember him as sugar bear. In a video during a post game, he was talking with Rick Dempsey, who was another catcher for the Orioles in the 80s. And Dempsey just keeps referring to him as bear. Hey, bear. So Floyd uh, 
took the nickname in good fun to the aesthetics of the card. I like that there's the orange seats in the background. You can practically hear Wild Bill Hagee and the roar from 34 in the background here. Combined with the orange trim on the chest protector and hat and jersey, it's a pretty good look. Good card. Flipping to the back of 296, we have Floyd Rayford, catcher and third baseman. Height 5'10", weight 220, right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted by the Angels' fourth round of 1975. Born July 27th, 1957 in Memphis, Tennessee, with a home in Cockeysville, Maryland. Floyd was born in Memphis, but as a young child moved to Los Angeles and grew up in South Central L.A. His father was a carpenter, and his mother was a very good cook. And it's said that she cooked piles of pork chops and and chicken and other things for Floyd as he was growing up. He grew up playing baseball, of course, and his dad was one of his coaches. And his dad gave him some tough love as a coach and told him, I'm going to make you a baseball player because you're too damn lazy to do anything else. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not taking that as parenting advice from (laughs) Floyd's dad. But luckily for Floyd, he was really good at baseball. He went to Manual Arts High School. Other alumni include Orioles Hall of Famer Paul Blair, artist Jackson Pollock, who dropped out, and Virginia Yaramillo, and Rachel Robinson, nurse, professor, and perhaps best known as the widow of Jackie Robinson. While at Manual, Floyd had a great career. He hit 444 as a sophomore second baseman. As a junior, he switched to catcher and again hit over 400. And finally, as a senior, he was captain of the team. He was all-city, first-team, and league MVP, hitting 535 in that senior season. He got noticed by some college programs. He had an opportunity to play at the University of Southern California, but then he was picked in the fourth round of the 1975 draft by the Angels, a few picks ahead of Dickie Knowles. And unfortunately... Because of a 1984 transaction here, we don't get to see any scout name on the card. But the scout, according to Floyd, who signed him, was Wally Shannon. And Wally Shannon was a minor league player for the Cardinals and then a scout for St. Louis as well, who helped sign Bob Gibson. He was later the scouting director for Cleveland, Baltimore, and then the Angels. And Wally passed away in 1992. And so he sent to South Central L.A. to sign Floyd. The initial offer was $12,500. Floyd said, no, thank you. I'll go to college instead. Wally doubles the offer to 25000 and Floyd signs and heads to rookie ball. Before Floyd heads out to rookie ball, Wally offers the family to have lunch with him. And uh, they go to the Angels concession stand for lunch. Oh, that's, that's classy. <laughs> and Floyd said, well, there was no way Wally was paying for lunch. He was going to find it for free somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Floyd goes to Idaho Falls. For rookie ball. At Idaho Falls, Floyd plays first base, third base, catcher, outfield, even a game at shortstop. Mostly third and catcher, though. And I feel like I'm sensing a theme here. These last few episodes, we have people playing third base and not doing very well at it. He had 14 errors in 38 games at third base. But at the plate, he hit 283 with a team high, 43 RBIs, and... 24 steals? For a guy who was never really a small guy, Floyd had some good speed in the minors. And really, the ability to play second base and shortstop when he was probably way too big to 
to play those positions. In 1976 at A-ball, he was the best third baseman in the California League. He hit 273 with 17 steals, only had 16 errors in 108 games, which was a big improvement for him at third base. He played a handful of games at catcher, and his team, Salinas, went 91-49. and 49. His coach was Del Crandall, who said Floyd was a tremendous athlete, Dell was also very high on Darnell Coles as the Mariners' third base of the future that we mentioned recently. So for 1977, looking to move into double-A, Floyd shows up at spring training about 10 pounds overweight. He said, last winter I would go over to my girlfriend's house a lot, and I guess I went to the fridge too often. But then he put on 10 more pounds during spring training and was sent back to A-ball and did fine there to start after a decent 51 games at third base at Salinas. And there were a lot of injuries at double A. So he ended up getting his chance to move up a station to El Paso. And because he was an injury replacement, Floyd didn't really expect to stay in El Paso. He didn't even pack his apartment in Salinas. However, when he got to double A, he hit nearly 300 with 11 homers in 79 games. He showed his versatility playing majority of his games at first base and second base because the team had Carney Lansford playing regularly at third base, they put Floyd in wherever they could. He suggested that he could have a future as a second baseman. And coaches said, who ever heard of a 210-pound second baseman? But Floyd's plan was to drop 25 pounds and try to be the next Joe Morgan. During the offseason, he played winter ball in Mexico. His manager was Frank Robinson. And he continued his good run at El Paso in 1978. With Carney Lansford getting promoted up to the big leagues, Floyd was sent back to third. And while he was decent defensively, he was great at the plate. 313 with 17 homers and 36 doubles. And he's still only 21 years old at this point. He ends up getting promoted to AAA Salt Lake City. There is something in Floyd's uh, baseball reference that I haven't seen before. Something that's maybe more common in soccer. When I was looking at his baseball reference, I saw that there's a trade in 1979. So in June 1979, the Angels trade Floyd to the Orioles for Larry Harlow. But his season stats are all at AAA Salt Lake City. He doesn't have a split line. He didn't go to the Orioles AAA affiliate. Instead, he's loaned to Salt Lake City for the remainder of the season. They just left him there to continue playing in the Angels system. Something that we, I don't think, have seen thus far. And at AAA, he didn't miss a beat offensively that season. He hit... 294, 13 home runs, 80 driven in, and again, 18 steals. He's team MVP and led the Pacific Coast League in fielding at third base. Unfortunately, before he could get a September call up to the Orioles, he hurt his leg. So he was out and didn't end up getting a late season call up that season. In 1980, as Floyd goes into the spring training camp with the Orioles, he started getting teased by older teammates about his weight pretty consistently. Earl Weaver, the manager, was a little more charitable than most. He said, I don't think he's big. I think he looks good. If he was catching every day, everyone would say he's built just like Roy Campanella and Yogi Berra. But Floyd said, when I hear fans yelling stuff about my weight, I just think a thousand other people wish they could be out here where I am. This is where the other nickname he was given, aside from Sugar Bear, was Honey Bear. Like the bear that is filled with honey that you buy at the grocery store, which is not only pretty rude about someone's physique, but is also 
just kind of strange and and maybe more than slightly racist. So I don't like any of these nicknames so far. And it seems like he was teased pretty consistently by teammates, but also in the media, the way that the news wrote about him was just bad puns and just calling, (laughs) just saying he was fat and, you know, just not great ways to talk about somebody's body. We talked about the headline writers at Sports Illustrated when they discussed the Cleveland baseball team and what kind of creative puns they came up with. 1980s America, not the kindest when it came to people's feelings. Let's just be fair about that. But regardless of his looks, Floyd made the opening day roster of the Orioles. Earl Weaver was really interested in Floyd's versatility. This is a guy who could play third base or catcher, except Floyd hadn't really played catcher since high school. But Earl Weaver was kind of a tinkerer and had an interest in moving guys around on the field. And so he wanted to have a guy with that kind of versatility, wanted to train Floyd up to play catcher in the major leagues. So Floyd plays a couple games in 1980, appeared in seven games in April and early May. He picked up his first couple hits, his first off Paul Splitteroff, and his second off Sparky Lyle. And then, unfortunately, he gets sent back to AAA Rochester. For the first time in his career, he didn't hit very well. He only hit 230 for the year, but he earned himself a fun fact on the back of the card. The fun fact is that he led International League third baseman with a 942 percentage in 1980. So he's playing third base there, not catcher, but then gets called back up and plays in one game at the end of the season in 1980. So eight games total for the year. In 1981, he gets his first tops card, and it is a future stars card, David. But he didn't make it back to the majors that year. He did get to play with a real future star. He got a new roommate and friend in Cal Ripken Jr., who was his teammate at Rochester. And Cal didn't like the way that Coach Doc Edwards was throwing batting practice. He said it was too slow. So instead, he and Floyd would arrive early and throw batting practice to each other, taking hundreds of extra swings. And according to Floyd, Cal had a great year, thanks to me. (laughs) Ripken was the regular third baseman for Rochester and played some shortstop. Floyd split his time between third base and catcher. And Floyd and Cal played together in that famous 33-inning game against Pawtucket that we talked about in the Mike Smithson episode. Floyd came in as a pinch hitter for the DH in the 18th inning and played catcher after the 29th inning. (laughs) He went 0 for 5. So not a, <laughs> not a great day, plagued till four in the morning. But on the year, Floyd hit 248 with 11 home runs. He was okay. And then going into 1982, he made the Orioles sp- out of spring training. He roomed with Cal Ripken on the road, and it sounds like kind of an adventure. Yeah, Floyd said every morning when he woke up, Cal wanted to wrestle and throw you around the room. Eyes emoji. <laughs> Once as he leaned over my bed to see if I was awake, I opened my eyes and punched him right in the chest. (laughs) Cal's response, he got back in bed and went to sleep. (laughs) This relationship also led to some fun pranks. And once in, in Texas, Floyd was locked in a bathroom along with all of his luggage. So he ends up missing the team bus. He was convinced that Cal was involved in that. And so in retaliation, at a game in Detroit... He snuck into the clubhouse and cut off every button on Cal's shirt. 
So when Cal left the ballpark, he wore a tie over his bare midriff with the shirt flapping (laughs) open. So the fun relationship there. At the beginning of that year in 1982, he had the distinction of starting at third base and keeping Cal Ripken out of the lineup on May 29th. The very next day, Cal was back in the lineup on May 30th for the first of 2,362 straight games. So Floyd... Rayford was the last player to start in Cal's place until 1998. Then we get into 1983, and as we know, 1983 is a big year for the Orioles. Unfortunately for Floyd, he started it in AAA and would play a big role in the Orioles' title run because he was traded to St. Louis. (laughs) And he was traded for a player to be named later. And that player was Tito Landrum. Tito Landrum would hit the series-winning 10th-inning home run against the White Sox in Game 4 of the ALCS. And this trade was called the the Orioles' best-ever August trade deadline trade. Meanwhile, Floyd's in St. Louis playing 56 games at third base. He had a memorable visit back to Dodger Stadium near his childhood home. He hit a three-run homer in his first at-bat there off of baseball boogies Jerry Royce. On the year, he hit 212. He knew that the Cardinals had just picked him up as an injury replacement and that he wasn't really in their long-term plans. So then we have a this way to the clubhouse, and that is that the contract of Floyd was purchased by the Baltimore Orioles from the St. Louis Cardinals, March 30th, 1984. And again, we have the bizarre passive voice of the Topps Baseball Corporation, the contract of Floyd. So Floyd misses out on the World Series, but he's back in 1984 with the Orioles, and the Orioles' backup catcher got injured, so Floyd steps right in as Rick Dempsey's backup. And for the first time in his Major League career, he has a regular role to play. He plays in 86 games and hits 256. The Oriole advocates named him the most outstanding new Oriole, even though he had been there through their farm system and had played in the majors as early as 1980. And Floyd said he liked playing catcher. And now having this regular role, he said, I was too busy back there to be nervous. When he's out at third base, he kind of got in his head about whether the next ball would come to him. But playing catcher, he's constantly busy. And so going into 1985, he's looking to have a more regular role with the team But it started kind of slow. He only played in 14 of the Orioles' first 55 games. And then in June, manager Joe Altabelli was fired, and Earl Weaver comes out of retirement. We know that Earl likes Floyd, and and it turned out pretty well for him. On July 30th against the Blue Jays, Earl told Floyd if he got a hit off Dave Steeb, he'll keep him in the lineup for the rest of the season. Floyd went two for five in that game. True to his word, Earl kept Floyd in the lineup, starting him at third base in all but four games. That's a really strange managerial decision to just put it all out there on one day. You can start the the next hundred games if you get a hit tonight. Well, when the guy before you got fired, the team's probably <laughs> not going so well. You can make decisions like that. And I think that Earl genuinely liked Floyd Rayford. And Floyd paid him back for it. He, he played really well. He had by far his best major league season, hitting 306 with 18 home runs, 21 doubles, 48 RBIs, and 359 at-bats. 
And among players with at least 25 games at catcher, he had the highest slugging percentage in baseball at 521. I know that's a little bit of cherry picking because most of his games were at third base, but he played significant number of games at catcher. In the field, no greater authority than Brooks Robinson said that Floyd was the team's best fielding third baseman, which is pretty high praise. And he also played a career-high 105 games. But in his personal life, it, 1985 was a pretty rough year. He got divorced mid-season. When asked about it, Floyd said, alimony can be a tremendous motivator. <laughs> so he earned himself a raise from 128000 to $310,000 for his contract in the off-season. So going into 1986, could he have another breakout season? That 1985 line looks so good, David. It didn't work out. He hurt his thumb shortly before the season started, came back and had a four-error game, and was hitting really terribly in the 150s, and got sent back down to AAA. He came back late in the season, but still finished with a 176 average. One guy he did hit well against in 1986 was Oil Can Boyd, which is odd because in his career, Floyd didn't hit righties particularly well, except Oil Can Boyd. For his career, he was 9-for-17 off oil can, and that's a 529 average. In Baseball Confidential, he said Boyd asked him about his success. How come you always hit me? Floyd said, I don't know. I'm just lucky, I guess. And then he asked, what do I have to do to get you out? I said, throw the ball down the middle with nothing on it, about 83 miles an hour. <laughs> Two days later, I faced him. His first pitch to me was right down the middle with nothing on it and I took. His second pitch was the same, and I hit it up into the bleachers. <laughs> we haven't talked since. <laughs> so Floyd lost a friend, but when you're slumping the way that he was in 1986, uh, you got to take those, those chances where you can get them. At the end of 1986, the Orioles end up putting Floyd on a weight loss program, and he put himself in a weight loss clinic. And he came into camp in much better shape and close to his target weight. However, the Orioles had picked up Ray Knight at third base and Terry Kennedy at catcher. So the opportunities for him to play were starting to close out. And after a few games, he ends up getting sent down to Rochester, where he plays for 48 games, then gets called back up to the majors. But in 20 games, he's only hitting 220 and ends up being released after the season. He tried to catch on with the White Sox in 1988 and then played for the Phillies AAA affiliate in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre in 89, 90, and 91, but he never made it back to the big leagues. So closing the book on Floyd Rayford, his career line 390 games in seven major league seasons. He hit 244 with 38 home runs. And aside from oil can Boyd, Rayford hit better against lefties, 274 with 25 home runs against lefties versus 220 and 13 home runs against righties. In the love to face, there's some pretty high-profile lefties on the list. He hit 400 against Steve Carlton, 455 against Ron Guidry, and 546 against Jimmy Key. So some pretty good left-handed pitchers that Floyd was able to hit pretty well against. How about in retirement? While he was still playing in the Philly system, he was also the hitting coach for that Phillies AAA team. He spent nine years with the Phillies' A-level affiliate as hitting coach, along with one season as a manager. After a year apiece with the Orioles and Brewers organizations, he was hired on by the Twins, and over the next 12 seasons, 
He was hitting coach at A, AA, and finally AAA back in Rochester with the Red Wings in 2010 and 2011. Those Red Wings were managed by Tom Nieto at the time, and when he was fired, Floyd went with him. He hasn't coached since 2011. He's remarried and lives in Florida currently, and he's working as a security guard at a home for mentally challenged adults. He said that he needed something to do, and he's a terrible golfer. So a fan favorite in Baltimore, but not a famous player, I think, to most of us who were collecting in 1987. So what do we think of him now that we've looked into him further? Joe Altabelli said, some guys just have a perfect temperament for the game. Rayford's one of them. And Floyd spent two decades coaching young players, and Floyd had a lot to pass along. He had played with and was managed by Hall of Famers during his career with the Orioles and Cardinals. But his career is also unique. Floyd was a black catcher in Major League Baseball. There's an article by Claire Smith, What Happened to the African-American Catcher, in which Claire looks at the path of African-American catchers, including greats like Josh Gibson and Roy Campanella and Charles Johnson, and there hasn't been an everyday African-American catcher in Major League Baseball since Charles Johnson retired in 2005. Generally, African-American representation in baseball is only around 8%, and many of the young players who have Major League aspirations are discouraged from playing catcher. Part of that might be access to equipment or access to coaching and even access to role models in the pros with no one to look up to who looks like you. Tim Anderson was asked if he ever considered playing catcher, and he said, I wanted to play a position that used my speed and athleticism. Catching was never something that appealed to me. That position wouldn't allow me to use those skills. And so you have the players who are of a quality that they could make it to the majors getting discouraged from playing that position, as well as a kind of shrunken pool of players generally with more young African-Americans playing basketball or football or other outlets for professional sports. And even though front offices are more analytical now, there's still some kind of old school thinking about this. According to one college coach, front offices don't see black catchers so they don't have an immediate player to compare to. And with the smaller pool of players, generally there's just fewer prospects. In her article, Claire talks about the importance of historically black colleges and universities in developing the pipeline of players. And there's a few catchers in the minor leagues, including Ian Moeller, who was a fourth-round pick of the Rangers in 2021. As he was growing up, coaches tried to move Moeller to other positions, but he made it a personal point that he was going to continue playing catcher, and part of it was that there wasn't representation, that he didn't see people who looked like him playing catcher. He said, when I was young, it was all about playing the game and having fun. As I got older, I realized it's about inspiring people. I've got young African-American kids coming up to me asking how they can get on baseball teams, and that's important to me. I didn't really think about this when I was looking at Floyd Rayford's card as a kid because I was used to seeing pictures of greats like Elston Howard and Roy Campanella, and it wasn't as rare, and it didn't feel rare because there were these, these faces that you knew. Josh Gibson is now, hopefully getting that recognition that people say that's a black catcher and that's you know that's someone who's important in the game so Rayford only really ended up playing 124 games as catcher but this card was important as representation of an african-american playing the position and i think it's pretty neat that they didn't have him as a third baseman but they have him with his with his chest protector on
So along with the importance of that representation, you have Floyd here as a kind of relatively obscure backup catcher, but he's still fondly remembered by Orioles fans. He shows up for autograph signings. There's a great video of him reliving some of the stories that we were just talking about with Rick Dempsey on a recent Orioles broadcast. And the media really during his time in baseball was not kind to Floyd due to his weight struggles. And it led to some headlines that just come off nowadays as bullying. But he generally brushed off some of the more mean-spirited comments and kept a positive attitude. And Floyd now says, Even when I was going bad, the fans treated me good. They liked me. I didn't have the greatest body type, but I was out there trying to do it. And Floyd would play wherever and play hard, and the fans loved him for it. Fan favorite with one really good season on this card and a legacy to leave behind. So a great player to find out more about today. So thank you, David, for that story. And thank you to you at home. If you've got the crunch with punch, we'd like to hear from you on Twitter. We are at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.